0: Good morning. Welcome to Earthmakers, spiritual care for real humans. My name is Josiah, and I am the grateful creator and host of this podcast. I'm a New Yorker living in Minnesota. I'm a clinically trained chaplain and a spouse. I'm a recovering addict living with an eating disorder. I live with PTSD and other mental illnesses. Let's get started. How are you doing this morning? As I said yesterday, one of the great personal values that I carry around is transparency. It is really transparency that transformed my life. Transparency with myself, transparency with others, transparency with my higher power. Transparency with others, though, I believe has been one of my greatest uh, practices, Transparency is a spiritual practice, it's not just a belief, or an idea, or some kind of theme. Most of my life I spent lying. Lying a lot, um, actually. Um, And sometimes lying and not even really realizing that lying is what I was doing. Yeah, addiction is funny in that way. Um, You become so hell-bent on survival when you're living in your addiction that sometimes you lie and you convince yourself that you're telling the truth. Our minds can lie to us, which is scary, because it's our mind. We should be able to depend on it. But sometimes we can't and so during our recovery season the brain starts to and the mind start to heal themselves and eventually we find ourselves telling the truth again or being given opportunity to tell the truth and to live with transparency so in the spirit of transparency this morning I woke up feeling like shit. And not like sick in that way. But I woke up feeling spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally shitty. I did not sleep well, (laughs) Uh, lots of tossing and turning exhausted but not able to really sleep and whenever I did kind of sleep I was having pretty terrible dreams so that if that wasn't enough I woke up with terrible terrible uh, extraordinarily bad body image distress and it helps me to say it out loud so I live with an eating disorder as you've heard me say before And one of the many things that we struggle with in the eating disorder community is body dysmorphia. But along with body dysmorphia is this thing called body image distress, where we notice our body having changed in some way. And we... And typically when we feel we've gained weight or our body shape has changed in some way we become overwhelmingly anxious depressed Um, people with eating disorders can go to places of suicidal ideation and intent which has happened to me in the past um, if they feel that they are too uh, ugly or Uh, way too much, or look a uh, a certain way that they don't want to look. I do not worry. I am not feeling suicidal in any way. Um, I'm safe. I'm okay. But for all of you out there who might be suffering with body dysmorphia, body image distress, an eating disorder, or disordered eating, or any of that shit, I just want to let you know that you're not alone. And this morning... It sucks to be, it feels like it sucks to be in this body. I'm just going to be real with you. And it's actually perfect to start today's reflection in that way, because today we're talking about the inner life part two. Yesterday we talked about the voice of the child in the inner life. The voice of the child is the voice that reminds us of our most basic felt needs. So, uh, food and drink, shelter, clothing, rest, love, companionship, touch, communication, right? these are basic needs that uh the older we get the more we think we can neglect. We actually get to a point where we believe it's okay to neglect some of these needs. It's literally not and it's not just an opinion piece or you know holistic spirituality, new age bullshit. What I'm presenting to you is a reality, a physical, evolutionary, biological reality, that these are things that we as human beings and as mammals have evolved to need in order to survive. So just on a basic survival level, we need these things, right? So we talked about communing with the inner child and not being afraid of that, and that can be scary, Maybe we feel that it was best to sort of lock away our inner child as if we were locking a child in the attic. But you wouldn't do that with your child. If you, if you would do that with your child, we have a problem. But if you're a healthy parent, you would not lock your child or your niece or your nephew or your grandchildren in the attic. You wouldn't do that. Right? You wouldn't leave them there for 20 plus years, 30 plus years, but that's what we do with our inner children because we are afraid of what they represent. We're afraid that we won't be able to take care of them in the way that they need to be taken care of. And I'm here to tell you that it's worth the risk. And if it becomes overwhelming and scary, reach out and ask for help. There are plenty of resources. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the second inner voice. One that's very familiar, to me at least. It's the voice of the teenager. The voice of the inner teenager. So let's take a moment and center and ground ourselves. Take a deep breath in on four counts. Hold, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, all the way out. Do that a couple more times. Once you have done some deep breathing, make sure that you are in a comfortable seated posture standing posture and engage in a form of meditation that works for you either sitting meditation, standing meditation, walking meditation, lying down meditation or writing meditation. It might be helpful to practice the writing meditation today Now I want you to picture the word teenager. What comes to your mind? What is on your heart as soon as you hear that word, see that word written, see a teenager, What immediately comes to mind? Write down or think of all the words, themes, ideas, images, tropes that come to mind for you around teenagers. What's coming to mind? You may notice that some of these words tend to be more negative see if you can find some balance what are some positive attributes of teenagers that you see now picture a teenager in your life a teenager that you care for And hold the picture of that teenager loosely in your head send them all of your loving-kindness and then release them And now hold a picture of yourself as a teenager loosely in your head. Do you see it? Do you see you as a teenager? What does that teenager need? You know better than anyone what that teenager needs, because you were, and in some ways still are, that teenager. Now release that image of the teenager, like a cloud dissolving in the sky. It was on the day that my addiction counselor, Nadine, told me about the inner teenager that it all clicked for me. And everything started to kind of come together and make sense for me. The inner teenager... You may have come up with words for the inner teenager like rebellious, defiant... Rude, emotional, right? But also, we could use words like misunderstood, lonely, afraid. Remember that teenagers' bodies, minds, and emotions are all changing all at the same time I do not miss my teenage years at all at all there is not a shred of me that would go back to being a teenager Uh, you know there there are parts of me that would go back to my childhood right but there are parts of but but there's nothing you could not pay me enough to be a teenager again because it is hard and teenagers are terrible to each other in schools they're terrible to their family members their parents are terrible to themselves that's because they have a hard fucking time managing all of the change that's happening all at once and also the social hierarchy established in high schools is hell, it's, it's quite murderous, it's like something out of Rome, these certain rules that you have to play by in order to climb the social ladder. The thing about a teenager is, is that they may externally act in a way that seems rude or inappropriate or defiant or rebellious or frustrating, but when they say they need something, you may think it sounds absurd, and it may, it may be very well an absurd request, But when we deny teenagers the thing they say they need, it hurts them because they desperately feel in that moment that they need it. They really believe that they need the thing that they're telling you they need. Here's an example. I had just gotten my driver's license. I was... 16 or 17 years old. I can't remember which and I was doing my homework at my house and um, I was newly licensed and I had told a couple of my friends that I was going to pick them up and I would be the driver and we would go out and get some food together and maybe go see a movie So My dad calls up the stairs and says, Joey, it's time for dinner. And I said, I called down and said, actually, you know, I'm not going to be eating dinner here tonight. I forgot to tell you, I am having dinner with my friends. And my dad said, oh, okay. He said, how are you getting there? And he said, oh, I was going to ask you if I could borrow the, the van to drive. You know, I just got my license. I thought it would be... Great if this was a way I could celebrate. And he said, well, don't you want to stay home and celebrate with your family? And I said, no, I really don't. <laughs> and my dad said, you know, Joey, actually, he said tonight, I would really like it if our family ate together. So you're going to have to tell your friends No. He said, but Dad, I already told them. I told them, I told my dad, yeah, Dad, I, I already told them that I was going to pick them up, so I can't back out now. And my dad said, so you told them that you were going to drive them with my van before you asked me permission. And I said, yeah, well, Dad, I assumed... I assumed that you would be nice and that you would let me have the van, but I guess I was wrong. And my dad said, I will let you take the van another day, I promise, but today I would like our family to eat together. And then I started to cry, and I yelled at my dad. I said, Dad, you just don't understand. I need the van. Please let me have the van. Then my dad, like a good, responsible parent, said, I hear you, I understand you're upset, and I'm not changing my mind. You need to call your friends and tell them that you can't pick them up. You can blame me, he said. I'll be the bad guy. But I would really love it if you would eat dinner with us tonight. In that moment, I remember feeling betrayed by my dad, which is absurd because I didn't handle it in a responsible way. I wanted to be treated with independence and yet I was still fully dependent on my dad. I wanted to use his van, but I didn't ask him permission. I made assumptions. And then, after I made assumptions, I created an inconvenient moment for my dad. My dad was forced into the position of telling me no. And my reaction was to be very upset because I really believed. I needed that van I really believed it and if you ask any teenager when they say mom I need this dad I need this if you ask them if they really believe they need it they will tell you yes every time because they really really believe it The inner teenager in us is the voice of the addict. Think about it for a moment. Let that sink in. It's the addict voice, but remember it's not the only voice hidden within the inner life. It's just one of the voices and sometimes it can be very loud. And we will turn to the inner teenager when the inner teenager calls out and says, You need this. I need this right now. Isn't it, and isn't that how addiction works? For those of you who are in recovery listening today, isn't that how it works? It sneaks up on us and it says, You need this right now. You need this, this drink right now. You need to take this hit right now. You need to shoot up right now. You need a cigarette right now. You need to have sex with this person right now. You need to spend the money and gamble right now. You need to eat that entire cake right now. Whatever it is, it's right now. And when we turn and when we say to the teenager voice, using our skills from treatment, when we tell the voice, hey, no, 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 stop it it just gets louder, doesn't it? Man. Well, here's the deal. I grew up next door to some folks who gave their teenagers the keys to the house and let them have whatever parties they wanted whenever they wanted and even bought them booze and enabled their behavior. We would call that bad parenting, (laughs) irresponsible parenting. Yes, I went there. Yes, I'm judging you for buying your teenager booze. If your teenager, as a parent, if your teenager was given free reign and rule of the house rule of your lives and you just did whatever your teenager said they wanted or gave in every time your teenager said they needed something or demanded something of you you would be engaging in bad parenting because teenagers don't know what's good for them all the time sometimes they do most of the time they don't and to give a teenager reign of our home is chaos. To give a teenager reign of our inner life is to create great suffering for the rest of us ourselves and others. It's because teenagers are still growing, developing, learning. Too often, my friends, we have given the reins over, the keys over, the van over to the teenager voice within us and said, go ahead, do whatever the fuck you want. Do your worst. And trust me, the teenager voice will do its worst. It's not worth it to hand over the keys. This doesn't just go for those of us who are struggling with the diagnosable disease of addiction who are in recovery groups and in treatment. This is for every human being because we all have our addictions. Work, family, family traditions, political opinions. These things, even if they are good, like family and family traditions, That shit can also ruin relationships and break up relationships and ruin lives and divide families if we treat those things as if they were drugs. And we do, don't we? That's just the inner teenager. It's manageable if we can see it as a teenager that we love. Don't look at it I mean if, if this is your teenager you're not going to look at your teenager and say oh that, that teenager is such a piece of shit and I hate them no you're going to love them because they are your teenager they came from you so you may not agree with them you may not give in to them but you love them and that's the key piece I'm going to read a poem to close us out today. This is a poem by a teenage poet named Deshaun Roberts. It was published in 2015. And as you listen to this, remember that this is the voice of a teenager and notice where it fits for you. Let's take a moment and quiet our minds. Do some deep breathing. I want to be your favorite hello, and I want to be your hardest goodbye. I want to be the one who never makes you cry, the one who puts that sparkle in your eye. I want to be the one you trust, and I want to be the one you can tell all your secrets to. I want to be the one always by your side, the one you're stuck to like glue. I want to be the one who makes you happy, and I want to be the one who makes you smile, I want to be the one waiting for you as you're walking down the aisle, the one to whom you'd say, for you, I'd walk a thousand miles. I want to be the one you truly love, and I want to be the one who fills your heart. I want to be the one who's always there to hold you in the dark, the one who loved you from the very start. If that's the voice of a teenager then it is a sincere voice it wants beautiful things but we don't want our addictions to be the ones that make us happy and the ones that make us smile and the ones that say for you I'd walk a thousand miles We don't want them to be the one that fills our heart and holds us in the dark. Because teenagers can't do that on their own. They weren't made to do that at that age. They need some time, don't they? So don't freak out when you hear your teenager voice calling out and crying out and demanding things of you. Calmly acknowledge the voice, listen to it, and then tell it no if you need to. Set it aside. But don't give up on it. Thank you, everyone. I love you. Take good care of you today. And I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.